Welcome to Work Beautifully, a podcast brought to you by Dialpad that discusses growth, learnings, and pitfalls to avoid in business. Founders, thanks for joining us on the Dialpad podcast series. In this season, we're going to get answers to top questions that startups have. Dialpad for Good is committed to helping startups, underrepresented founders, and nonprofits through providing 10 free licenses, Dialpad Talk, and Meetings for Life. To learn more about our programs, please visit dialpad.com slash dialpad for good. Hello, founders. In this podcast series, we're going to be talking to angel investor, serial entrepreneur, and BDX Carta, Jeff Erickson. And uh, the topic we're going to be chatting about today is thinking about raising a seed round, learn the steps to close one in 15 minutes. So Jeff, thanks very much uh, for coming on the show today. We're looking forward to chatting with you. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Clinton. So first things first, uh, when is the right time to raise capital as a startup company? You know, great question. Um, I think the first thing that startups have to evaluate is whether they have a business that it makes sense to raise venture capital. And if they have a business that makes sense where it's scalable to the point where venture investors would be interested, one of the things they want to focus on is raising capital at the right time in the business which is typically when the companies hit an inflection point. And what I mean by inflection point is a key milestone that they have hit in the business. Early on, that might be you know, completing an MVP or you know, getting a big customer contract, things like that where you're going to see a step up in the valuation of the company because you've hit the, this milestone. That's when you want to raise. If you're raising before that, right before you hit an inflection point, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice by probably ended up diluting yourself more by not have, taking advantage of the full value of the company. So that would be my first point. I think the, the second thing is you, you always want to raise money before you actually need it. And so you don't want to be raising money at the point where you don't have any money left. Um, it puts you in a, a negative spot where you know you're you're at a disadvantage when it comes to negotiating with your investors. It's great advice, Chef. And um, as a startup founder, what do I need to get ready uh, to prepare to raise funds? And uh, you know, in your opinion, what is the most important thing? You know, I think one of the most important things for startup founders is to make sure they have a good startup attorney. I would say that's one of the most important things they'll need as they're preparing to raise capital. As they go into the to the capital raising process, you're going to need an updated cap table, your articles of incorporation, all the legal documentation, uh, financial projections, um, a hiring plan, and you know kind of what the, the future of the company looks like. So mapping out what the funding is going to be used for. Um, all of this kind of culminates into you know, also having a good pitch deck uh, that presents all of this in a way that you know makes sense to to investors. Uh, there's a great book out there actually called Pitch Deck, the Pitch Deck Book by Tim Cooley, which is awesome that can help create pitch decks. But uh, w- some of the key things you'll want to make sure in that pitch deck to investors are establishing product market fit, or if you're trying to establish market fit, what that actually means. But there are five T's that you want to to focus on that investors are going to hone in on. And that's 
you know, the team, the tactical advantage that you and your team have over competitors, what sets you apart, the TAM or total addressable market. You know, do you have a market that's big enough to you know, make this company really significant? And um, also the traction and the terms. So those are the kind of the five T's I would hit on when you're, or at least think about as you're presenting to investors. That's awesome, Jeff. Thanks. And uh, we'll make sure to include a link to the book um, that you've recommended uh, as part of our posting of this podcast. And uh, assuming I have all of this stuff ready to go, uh, how much time do I need as a founder to raise a seed round? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I would generally tell founders to plan for at least six months. Now, there are a lot of variables that can kind of go into that. One is the general market conditions. You know, if you're in a, a tight market, it's going to take a lot longer. If you are in a market like right now, it might be a lot quicker. Um, but some of the other things is what industry you're in um, and where you're at in terms of the market there. Are, are you in a hot industry? You might have an easier time raising funding. It might go a lot quicker. Uh, what kind of traction do you have? Um, if you've got a ton of traction and there's a lot of interest in your company, that's going to make it a lot easier to raise capital and it'll, the process may go quicker. Also, you have to take into consideration what kind of connections and what you've done leading up to the fundraising process um, in terms of you know who you know. And also your experience as a founder will go into this. If you have, have you know three exits already under your belt, it's going to be a lot easier for you to raise capital and you'll probably have more connections as well. But um, all of those factors kind of go into it. And, you know, like I said, I mean, it can I've seen deals close in a matter of, you know, a couple of weeks um, all the way up to, you know, thinking that it's going to take six months and having it take, you know, 12 to 18 months. So, you know, I hope that's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in my experience, you know, founders that have done it before and they go out, they raise funds. Um, most of the time, it takes uh, a lot less time. Um, so just curious, um, for the first time founder, how do you approach raising funds and get in front of angels and VCs if you don't have that existing network? Yeah, I know that's a challenge for a lot of first time founders. And one of the things I would say is, is you've got to get out there in the market. If you're in a specific industry, you've got to be out there in that industry, networking and getting to know who the players are. That's where the, the investors are going to be as well. They're looking for companies that are in the these different spaces. And that's where you want to be. So I would say getting out to events that are applicable, looking up pitch events. There's a lot of local pitch events. Um, I, there's a lot of companies that start off even going to like the 1 million cups events or something and, and pitching initially there just to get the network going. Uh, every time you go to an event, you, you know, you end up meeting people and you never know where those relationships might go in terms of, you know, connecting to, to new people that might connect you to other new people. So it's just a lot of networking I think the other thing you can do is talk to other founders that are in your space and ask them who the the good investors are, you know, and then looking up folks on LinkedIn, 
Um, social media is a good way to get a feel for you know, who you want to connect with and then finding you know, people that you know that may be connected to different individuals. So those are a, a few tips. One other thought I had was, you know, if you've got advisors, uh, this is a good way that advisors can also, you know, contribute to the success of your company. Um, find advisors that are well connected in the space and and know investors or maybe are investors. That's great advice, Chef. And um, one thing I was curious about too is, uh, you know, outside of using LinkedIn, uh, have you heard some founders using Crunchbase or tools like that to work backwards um, to see investors in their space? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, those tools like PitchBook, Crunchbase, um, great resources to see what investors are in your space. There's also a a company called Founder Suite that has a great application that kind of gives you a good feel for what investors invest in in which spaces. Uh, that that is one thing that investors or that startups want to make sure that they do is research the you know, investors that they're going to be talking to, to make sure that there's actually even a fit before they even approach them. That's some great advice, Chef. Thanks. And a big question here and a, a question on any startup's mind is just how much money uh, should I raise in my first round? And how do I value myself as an early stage company? You know, maybe I have a few customers, maybe I have a lot, um, or maybe I'm building something that's hardware-based or in the science space, and I don't have a customer yet. Uh, how do I do that? Yeah, it's kind of a crazy market right now because you're seeing you know, seed rounds of $100 million, and it, it gets a little confusing. It's like, how much money should I raise? And I think if you really boil it down, you have to look at your business and say, how much money do I need in order to hit my next key milestone or that inflection point? And that's how much you want to raise because that's where you're going to see a step up in the value of your company. If you end up raising too much, so let's say that you're, you know, it's going to take a million dollars to hit your next inflection point where the value of the company is going to increase, and you go out and raise $10 million, well, you just diluted yourself significantly by raising all that capital at a low valuation that's going to now fund you through multiple inflection points. You want to raise just enough to get you to that next inflection point with probably a little cushion, realizing that it may take longer to raise that next round and you don't want to run out of money. So that's probably in, you know, the, the easy answer, I guess, or the simple answer. On the flip side, you don't want to raise too little where you run out of money before you hit that next milestone or the inflection point. Uh, and so, like I said, you want to make sure you you build in enough cushion. Typically, you'll you'll see companies building out a, an inflection point, a plan to hit the inflection point to be like a 12 month period. So if, if you kind of plan on raising, you know, in 12 months, again, raise enough to get you, you know, 12 to 18 months worth of capital. So you have a little bit of cushion there. It's great advice, Chef. And uh, something that you mentioned before, and, and just I really wanted to emphasize is those inflection points. And I'm sure you've seen that time and time again is as a founder, just making sure you're prepared and knowledgeable of when those might be coming up and giving yourself enough time. Would you say time is definitely the most important thing when raising around properly forecasting for how much time it's going to take? 
You know, I think that's one aspect. I, it, it is tricky. So there's definitely an art to it. You're, you're not going to, there's obviously going to be, you know, hurdles that come up and it's hard to project time sometimes. But if you put a milestone out there and say, this is what we're, we're going to have 5,000 customers by this date. And that's where we're going to see, you know, the company at that point. And, you know, things happen. Maybe you're at 4,000, but, you know, you're, you're seeing that you've only got five months of runway left. Um, you, you better be at least thinking about raising capital and, you know, and um, the, the worst time to think about raising capital is when you've run out of money. That's a, that's a great point. And when founders are thinking about uh, presenting their company to investors and, you know, the conversations get farther along, um, when should founders consider using a convertible instrument versus a price round? Yeah, that's another common question you get from early stage founders. Uh, when to use a you know, convertible note or a safe agreement? And what you, the reason that you see convertible notes and safes become so prevalent in early stage rounds is because they're so simple. I mean, a safe is a simple agreement for future equity, the key word being simple. Uh, you can you can get a safe done for very little cost and and just you know get it out to investors and convertible notes similarly. the The difference there is that if you go with a priced round early on, there's a lot of details in the documents that you're going to have to sort through and negotiate or you know um, have your attorney go through and make sure everything's you know tied up. That can take time and money. And let's say that you're just raising you know, $100,000 and you end up with $20,000 of legal bills of negotiating and you know, coming up with, with all the terms that you need to in a, in a price round. Well, what founders don't realize a lot of times is that they're also responsible for the attorney fees, typically for the investors as well in the round. And so, you know, all of a sudden you're at $20,000 in legal fees and you've raised $100,000, 20% of that's going to the legal fees. That probably doesn't make sense. You do a simple agreement for future equity and you say, let's, let's negotiate all the terms and set the, you know, a, a definitive evalu- valuation at your next round when you raise two to $3 million. That seems to make more sense because then if you're spending, you know, $20,000, $30,000 on, on legal fees, to get a price round done, you know, it's, you're, you're raising $3 million and it's, it's a lot different than raising a hundred thousand dollars and spending 20,000 of that on legal. Mm -hmm. That's some great advice. And um, on the note of equity, what is the typical amount of equity you've seen given to advisors in a seed round? And what about employees? Yeah. When we're talking about advisors, it's very different than your board of directors. So as an investor, Investors come in, they may take a board seat. Your advisors are, are very different. You want to choose them wisely to complement the you know, strengths and, and weaknesses of the founding team. So you know, different advisors can add different you know, levels of expertise uh, to your company. With your advisors, you, the things that you want to consider there is what stage of the company you're at. If you're a brand new company that is at the ideation stage, an advisor may take a, a larger percentage of equity than, than if you have a proven 
you know, MVP, you're out there generating revenue and you've got a concept and you need them for helping you get introduced to investors or something like that. Uh, you you kind of look at it from the the investment and the the risk that the advisor is taking in terms of the equity that you might give them. I would say in general, uh, at the very early stages, you might be looking at, you know, one to two percent to an advisor at most. Otherwise, they start to be more integral to the the company. You almost get into the co-founder type space. But um, as you start to progress and you get more traction and, and product market fit, you know, I would anticipate anywhere from, you know, a quarter of a percent to a half a percent for advisors is kind of the standard out there. Okay, that's great, Jeff. I um, think I'm you just... also mentioned the the employees. How much equity do you give to employees? Is that right? Yeah. Yep. That again is it can, has a lot of variables to it. You know, it depends on the level of the employee. You're obviously going to give a lot more equity to a C level executive than to you know an individual contributor or an entry level type position or even a director or VP. So depending on the employee level, um, also the geography, whether this individual is in San Francisco or North Dakota can actually play into how much equity you might grant them or where the company's based. Is the company in San Francisco or North Dakota? Um, the size of the company and the traction that you've, you have. Um, you you kind of look at it again at the risk that the employee is taking. If they're coming in earlier, you'll probably reward them with more equity, a, a larger percentage than if you, you know, are a more established company uh, that you know has already proven that you have product market fit and you're you have a viable company that they're not taking as much risk of you know this this not happening. So all of those things kind of go into you know evaluating how much equity to to give to employees. Uh, I will say that I mean Carta has a fantastic total compensation tool where it takes all of the data from you know, different levels of employees and says, this is what we're seeing out in the market in terms of how much equity to give. And a level three engineer in Seattle, Washington, if you have a company where the last valuation was $25 million. And it, you can see the ranges or the, the bands of whether you'd be you know, compensating this employee at the 25th percentile or the 75th percentile of, of kind of the median so there's tools like that out there that you can use to help you determine what the appropriate amount of equity to grant to employees. Thanks, Chef. And a big shout out to Carta as well. Um, some awesome tools. have used them myself and uh, definitely uh, something that founders should be checking out if they haven't done so already. So now that we've signed the docs and the money's in the bank, how do I keep my investors happy? Speaking uh, directly about communication, reporting, um, using software, you know, what are some best practices you've seen? Yeah, I think that that's that is an important thing because if you look at it from the, the founder's perspective, these are investors that hopefully might want to invest in your next round as well, and so you want to keep those relationships warm and good. And to do that, I think you have to preserve the trust is the key thing. You want to instill trust in your existing investors. And that typically happens through communication. So regular investor updates, keeping them you know, apprised of things that are happening, good and bad, uh, letting them know some of the challenges 
And even you know, I, I, the best investor updates I've seen have some asks in there saying, hey, if, you know, here's some things we could use help with if you have some resources or you know, things that you could do to help. Because if you look at it from the investor standpoint, they have a vested interest in helping you succeed or wanting you to succeed. So if, if there are some things that they can do to help, then you know, put that in your investor updates. The other thing is you know, having clear targets and metrics and measuring things and letting the investors know, you know what the progress is in terms of, of hitting the key metrics and, and things like that. Again, it's all about communication, building that trust. Going back to one of the things that, that uh, Carta has, that it makes it easy to track you know, their, the investments for your investors. So it's kind of nice for, for investors. I always love it when companies I invest in are, are on Carta and I can see all of, everything right there in my Carta account. But it also has a platform built in to where founders can send out those regular investor updates and then it also keeps all the records up to date. And so, again, that helps foster that, that trust you want to build and maintain with your investors. That's great. Thanks, Jeff. So, Jeff, uh, how much time does a startup need to raise a seed investment round? Yeah, great question. I typically tell founders, in, in general, count on at least six months. Now, there's a lot of variables that go into that, including the general market conditions, I mean, the market conditions right now are very favorable for raising capital, where there's a lot of capital out there that's flowing pretty freely. That, in contrast, can can change quickly. We saw that in 2008 with the banking crisis, where the capital markets froze up. Things like that can definitely have an impact on the length of time it might take to raise capital. The other things, the other variables might include things like the industry you're in, are you in a hot industry where you're going to have a lot of investors that are excited about what you're doing? That'll make it so you know you might be able to raise capital uh, much quicker than than six months. The traction that you have, if you've got traction, there's a lot of excitement about what you're doing. You might even have investors coming to you. And in fact, I just had a an investor reach out to me and say, "Hey, can I get an introduction to this company?" And I happen to know that they weren't interested in raising capital because they were doing so well um, that they didn't need it right now. So a lot of times you'll have investors come to you if you are doing well and it, it becomes easier and easier to raise capital depending on the traction you're getting. The other thing to consider is what have you done leading up to the point where you're raising capital? Have you been out there talking to investors leading up to this? Do they know that you're you're raising and and you know do you have those warm connections teed up. Um, and then also, you know, what kind of experience do you have as a founder? If you have three exits under your belt, for example, it's probably going to be a lot easier for you to raise capital than a first-time founder, um, not only because of the connections, but because of the trust that you have built up with you know, investors and being able to execute. And so that may make it so you can raise capital a lot quicker as well. Thanks, Chef. Great advice. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Excited to chat with you again. Um, always great to hear your perspective, knowledge, experience on startups and investment and raising money as a startup company. So hope you can join us again. Absolutely. And thank you very much. Thank you, Glenn.